Our theme this year is making disciples, teaching others what he taught us. Clearly, the Word of God is is going to become a focus for us as we pursue being disciples and making disciples, teaching what he taught us. That's where that comes from, is out of the Word of God. We all read the Bible. Most of us in here read it every day. Uh, most all of us don't have one Bible, but we got many Bibles in our homes. And I want to talk about the power of the Word in your life. Not just reading the Bible, not just having one laying on the, uh, on the shelf or on the cabinet or on your uh, countertop, but the power of God, the power of the Word of God in your life. And I, I, this is going to be an introduction. Next week will be in part two. Uh, and, and I encourage those of you who are joining us on podcast, if you're hearing this podcast, make sure you tune in next week to get part two of this because we're going to go right on with the understanding of the power of the Word of God in our life. Turn to Psalms chapter 19. Put your ribbon there. Yes, and, and we need to grab the Bible and read a chapter or two chapters before we run out the door. We, we need to do that every day. I mean, that's a great habit. Uh, we need to have that habit. We need to read a chapter. We need to read a couple of chapters. But the, the thing we're going to be honing in on is there is power in the Word of God to change your life. I was a psychology major in college. And it was a very interesting four years of study for me. I, I never thought about many, many things that I was forced to think about and to put together in my mind like I was forced to think about it during those years of study. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, because I certainly didn't, but psychology is a very, very new concept. It's a new discipline. It's a new career path. Uh, we've had medicine since the beginning of time. There was medicine men, and they had tea leaves, and they had potions, and they had concoctions, and they were trying to cure us uh, physically since beginning of, of time. We've had medicine men, but unlike all the other psychology majors that were in my classes, I watched Westerns. Not any of them did. And I began to notice there were no psychologists in any covered wagon. Now, there's medicine men, but there was no psychologist in any covered wagon. There was no guy riding his horse to town for his weekly appointment with his therapist. Now, this is all pretty new. Now, I was a psychology major, and at that time, that was a career path for me. And let me just stop. Before I offend anybody, let me just say, yes, absolutely, we have made wonderful new discoveries. We've got great new treatments for mental illnesses. Thank the Lord we don't throw mental problems in a dungeon or lock them in stocks and chains thinking they're demoniacs. Uh, so we have made great progress in understanding the mind. But as I pursued my degree as a Christian, and as one that based my life on the Word, I begin to see many folks in this field inventing problems and then naming problems and harping on problems until people thought they were hopelessly affected. 
And then when you got them seeing that they're hopelessly affected, then you convince them that they need to come to your office at least once a week for a $150 an hour session. And this is not going to be an easily cure. You're going to have to come once a week for years and years and years at $150 a week per session. And words that no mankind or up to this point had ever heard about, but we started coming up with words like self-image and codependency and midlife crisis and anger management sessions. No guy in a covered wagon ever suffered from a self-image problem. I, I never saw a guy trailing a herd of cattle from Texas to Colorado that had a midlife crisis along the way. Many of these infirmities that people are hopelessly affected with, they're hopelessly born with, many of these infirmities that we're telling people that are genetic, many of them the Bible calls selfishness. Many of these problems the Bible refers to as sin. And, and the Bible tells us to repent and to put it off, and to crucify it, not name it, and talk about it. And habitual sin is now being referred to as addictive or compulsive behavior. And its solution is medical care. When the Bible's solution is repent and turn from your wicked ways. Now, today... We have a lot of sin that is called sickness. So many people think that it requires therapy or requires medical treatment or requires a pill instead of it requiring repentance. Now, now follow with me here. We got to think about this. Romans tells us to die to a sinful nature and its selfishness. Galatians teaches us to crucify the flesh and its desires. Colossians tells us to put off the old nature and to put on the new nature in the image of Jesus. Now, I teach Romans, I teach Galatians, and I teach Colossians, and then I would go to my classes, and they would tell me that you need a pill, or you need therapy, or, or we need to talk about this. Here is the crime, and, and, and here is the big crime. And I, I saw this in a lot of what I studied. When you tell a person they're sick, there is no cure for genetic sickness. I was born this way. But when you call it sin, you can repent of it, and you can live free. And in an attempt not to put conviction on people, in an attempt not to tell them they're in sin, we think we're doing them a favor by telling them they're sick. Well, daddy's sick. Well, mama's sick. Well, our kid is sick. We think we're doing people a favor by not identifying it as sin and identifying it as a sickness. And, and that's the worst mistake you can probably make because there is no pill for this. You are hopelessly, you are, ho you are sentenced to a lifestyle of this. But when we identify things as sin, you can repent of sin and God can set you free. 
when you read in Scripture about lust, you never read that the Bible tells us to go to therapy and talk about it with somebody. That's not what the Bible says to do. And the more I pursued this career path, the more I began to see that what I was doing was giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to things that God called me to crucify and die. And the more we would come in for therapy sessions, I found myself being trained to talk with somebody about what God says to crucify inside you. And first thing you know, I am in the midst of giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation by all of this talk about things that clearly we're to die to. When you read about, in Scripture, thoughts that produce fear, thoughts that produce worry, thoughts that produce anxiety, thoughts that produce anger. The Bible does not call that an obsessive-compulsive disorder. It says take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. It tells us to crucify the old man. Put off those thoughts and put on these thoughts. And when you have thoughts that are making you angry and you are beginning to be consumed with anger and anger is taking over your life, what the Bible says is, Take those thoughts captive, put those thoughts on, and start thinking about these things. Whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's good report, whatever's excellent, whatever is worthy of praise. There's no anger management in the Bible. Now, there's a crucifixion to anger. There is a new life in Jesus shaped by the Word. The Word of God tells you what you once thought about that generated this problem in your life. Put those thoughts off and put these thoughts on. What we're talking about here is the power of the Word of God to change your life. The power of the Word of God to change your life. The good news of the gospel is Jesus came to set you free. And you're not sentenced to a life of genetic mental disorder. Jesus can touch your life and turn your stinking, rotten, lousy life around and set you free from this thing that's got a hold of you. Good news of the gospel is you are not bound by the law of generations. You're not bound. Your granddad was an alcoholic. Your dad is an alcoholic. But you can be born again and old things can pass away and all things can become new with you starting right now. Sin that your dad lived in, sin that your granddad lived in, and now you are dealing with, you can repent of that. You can have your whole life turned around and and the Word of God can teach you to think and respond to life in a completely different way. And I studied this. Your dad grew up in an abusive home, so he became an abuser. You grew up in an abused situation, so now you're the abuser. The Bible tells me you can be set free from that law of generations. And that does not have to continue to be manifest in your life. That generational curse that you deal with can be broken by the power of Jesus in your life. And you can train yourself to think completely new, washing your mind with the Word of God. You can apply the Word of God in your life, and you can live totally 
free, totally set free. And the point of all this is there is power in the Word of God to turn your life completely around. Now, there are many, many things that you don't need therapy for. You don't need counseling for. You don't need a pill for. You need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. That's not a hard saying. That is a freeing saying. Because as you do that, the power of God comes in and sets you free. And you become a brand new person. Christians, free from the slavery of sin, now have got to see the power of the Word in their life to move forward. This is not a spiritual book to be put on a shelf. It is what we wash our mind with and train ourselves through the power that's in the Word to respond, to act, to comment, to think different than we used to. You can move forward. Your actions, your reactions can be shaped by the Word of God instead of shaped by the way you always saw your dad react. And he is reacting the way he saw his dad react. And so we've got an endless cycle of defeat in our life until the Word of God comes in and tells me, you react like this. You say, when you are lied against, when you are persecuted against, when you are abused, here's what you do. When you are falsely accused, here's what you do. You don't double up your fist and bust somebody in the nose. Here's what you do. See, so the Word of God begins to affect the way you live your life. We can't continue to let our sin nature be in control of our life and want somebody to counsel me about that. Your sin nature is wreaking havoc in your life. That lust, that sin nature, that old man is wreaking havoc in your life and you want to talk to somebody about it. You want somebody to give you a pill for it. Here's what you got to do is repent from it. Turn to Psalms 19. If you hadn't found it by now, you're probably not going to. <laughs> Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Verse 7 through verse 9. We find six statements about Scripture. And I wanted to make sure I had a real handle on this. So I've studied this in as many different translations as I could read to make sure I was getting the real meaning of these words. Depend on your translation. Statement number one, and you can follow down with me. The instructions, or some translations say, the law of the Lord. 
Next, the decrees are the testimony of the Lord. Next, the commandments are the statutes of the Lord. The commands are the precepts of the Lord. The reverence are the fear of the Lord. The laws are the judgments of the Lord. Each of these six statements about Scripture ends with, of the Lord. Are you following down? Do you see that? Of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. Clearly, when David was writing Psalms, he wanted us to know that Scripture comes from God himself. And each of these six statements highlights a characteristic of God's Word, and it describes its to-be effect in our life. It's not just to be read, it's to have an effect in our life, and here is the to-be effects that it's supposed to have. Now, I want us to look at the power of the Word. I want us to get to the place in this church that we daily experience the effects of God's Word in our life. Yes, we come to church and we hear a sermon about God's Word, and that's what we're supposed to do. But I want the effects of God's Word to be played out in your life on Monday. So I want the effects of God's Word to be played out on your life, in your life Thursday afternoon. I want the effects of what we read in God's Word to be manifest in your life on Friday night. I want the benefits of God's Word to be obvious in your daily life. Let's go down through this. Number one. Scripture is perfect, restoring the soul, converting the soul, reviving the soul. That Hebrew word law or institution is the word for Torah, which means Scripture. The Scripture, the Torah, the law is perfect. Now, that word perfect means whole, complete, sufficient. It can Vays the idea of comprehensive. It covers all aspects. I mean, it just takes care of everything. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's comprehensive in our life. The Word affects people, now look at this, by reviving the soul, restoring the soul, converting the soul, transforming the soul. These are all words that different translators use in getting us to understand what the Word of God is to do in our life. The word soul here in the Hebrew refers to the whole you. I mean, it it affects your whole life. It affects the whole you. Now, if I put this in a paraphrase, let me read this. Scripture is so powerful and comprehensive that it can convert or transform the entire person. The word's reviving transforming, converting, restoring the soul. Ephesians tells us to wash our minds with the Word. Romans says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Word of God has the power to wash your mind. So we don't just keep talking about our problem and talking about our problem and talking about what happened to us when we were two and talking about what happened to us when we were three and now going back and talking about what happened to us when we were in the mother's womb. The Word of God has the power to wash your mind and make your mind completely clean. 
The Word of God has the power to renew your mind, not just keep talking about it and reliving that horrible nightmare that you went through. Let the Word of God renew your mind. Let it restore your mind. See, as we read the Word and we develop a biblical worldview, much of what you at one time needed a therapist for is gone. I, I, I remember it, but I don't remember it like it happened to me. That is another life. That is another person. That person is no longer alive. I'm a new person. The power that's in the Word of God gives direction for confusion. It gives peace for worry. It calms our fears. It brings healing to past scars. The Word has power to restore your soul. We've got to hurry. Number two. The testimony or the decrees of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony or the decrees, that means divine witness. That's God-given testimony here. See, that is God-given testimony. And when that word we read is trustworthy or sure, that means, when it says it's sure, that means it's unwavering. It's immovable. It's reliable. It provides you the foundation to build your life on. We can't build this building until we get a foundation that's not going to move on us. And we're trying to build our life on things that move. And you, that's why your life continues to fall apart. That's why your life continues to unravel, is you're trying to build your life on things that move. Whenever you build it on a sure foundation, and what is sure? The testimony of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's like this concrete, it won't ever move. We don't need a pill for anxiety. You need wisdom to make the right decision. And God's Word gives us that. Number three, the commandments, the statutes, the precepts, whatever your translation says, are right, rejoicing the heart. These are divine principles and guidelines for our character and our conduct. God created us. And he knows how we've got to live to be happy. And Scripture steers us through the right course for our life to bring great joy and happiness to us. See, the Word is right. When you're right, your heart can rejoice. Now, you see people all the time. You can look in their face and they ain't right. I mean, you can see it. They ain't right. You can look in their eyes. Why, it's dark. It's dark. You can see sin hiding in there. And you can't be happy when you ain't right. When you're in sin, you're going to hide. You're going to have fear. You're going to have guilt. And, and I want to tell our young people in here, there is no freedom living in sin. It's a lie. It's a trick. It's a deception. And I've heard it my whole life. Young people say, I just want to get out and experience a little fun. I just want to live a little. I don't want to be so sheltered. I want to get out and party a little bit. Sin produces death always, every time. That will be the end result of you having your fun. It will be destruction. It won't end up like you want it to. You're having all kinds of fun right now, but the end result of that is... Nobody will speak to you. Nobody will talk to you. Everybody hates you. Everybody's disowned you. You're very, yep. See, yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The end result of that is death and destruction. Every time. It will not end fun. 
And countless times, amidst tears and hurt and pain, I hear people tell me, Tim, all I wanted to do was have a little fun. Sin never has led to fun, nor will it ever will. It leads to destroying your life. That's what it leads to every single time. Number four, verse eight. The commands or the precepts of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commands are precepts. These are not optional. When you read the word command, that's not an option. We act like these are suggestions. The word pure means not confusing. It's very clear. It enlightens your eyes. We need Scripture. There's power in Scripture to enlighten your eyes. Why do I need that? Because there is a way that seems right to me. But the end is death. I don't want to reach the end that is death. I want to have my eyes enlightened before I take the path that seems right. That, that seems... I mean, we can all raise our hand. We did what seemed right at the time. Seemed fun, seemed good, seemed right. And the end didn't end us where we wanted to be. Well, I want to be enlightened on the front end of that. That's what the Word of God does for us. You don't want to do that because it won't do for you what you're thinking it's going to do. To me, it looked like fun. It looked like the right thing to do. I had every reason in the world to do it. I've got every excuse in the world to do it. I'm a big boy. I do what I want to do. I got all that. It will not take you down the path you want that to take you. His commands are not confusing. Do this and you'll be blessed. Don't do this or you will be destroyed. Why do we fight and rebel against the commands of the Lord? Think about this. Think about this. We so rebel against the commands of the word. word. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own life. I want to do it my way. Why do we do that? Now think about it. When you buy a truck, it comes with an owner's manual. My truck, I can do what I want to. This owner's manual says only put gas in the tank, and I'm not going to do that. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm a grown person. I'm going to do what I want to, and I'm going to pour Diet Coke in this gas tank. Tell you what, I'm going to amp this baby up. I'm going to pour me some monster drink in this gas tank. I can put into my body whatever I want to, and ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Why are you doing that? It's your truck, and you can pour whatever you want to in the gas tank. Here's what I'm telling you. It won't run. It's going to buck, and it's going to spitter, and it's going to sput for a few minutes, and then you're going to be on foot. You will ruin the body that you had. You will ruin the life that you had. I don't know why we want to rebel against His commandments. His commandments are not to ruin your life. His commandments are to help you enjoy life. What does the owner's manual do? It helps you get the most miles out of this vehicle. What does an owner's manual do? Helps you get the most benefit out of this vehicle. What does the Bible do? It helps you get the most miles out of your life, the most benefit out of your life, and for it to run the best. Absolutely. You can put whatever you want to. You pay for the truck. You can make you some muddy swamp water and pour in that gas tank. You sure can. Don't be disappointed when your life doesn't work well. And don't be going to get counseling whenever you 
have poured swamp water in the gas tank. You don't need therapy. You need to repent of pouring swamp water in your gas tank, drain that out of your life, and come back to putting what the owner's manual said in your life, and this thing will go back to running for you. Number five, verse nine. The fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord is clean or pure, enduring forever. That word fear is reverential awe. It's where some translations say reverence. A reverential awe compels worship. We read the fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're running in scared that he's going to get us. It's a reverential awe that inspires worship. That's what that says. It's pure. It's clean. It's absence of impurity. It's absence of imperfection. The, the fear of the Lord is perfect. It's absent of imperfection in your life. Mark thirteen thirty one. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When it's flawless, it's never outdated. See, things pass away all the time because they become outdated. But whenever it's flawless, then it never becomes outdated in our life. That's why you can read the Bible that was written 1,000 years ago, and it sounds like it was written this morning. Number six, verse nine. The judgments or the laws of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Each one is fair. The word law or the word judgments. The Bible is God's standard for judging life. I need a judgment. I need a judgment. Is this good? Is this not good? I need this to go through a processor. Will this work? Will this not work? See, the Bible is the judgment for whether this is good for me or whether this is bad for me. That's what the Bible does in my life. You and I hear this all the time. Are you judging me? Are you judging me? Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Word of God judges our actions. And I'm not judging you. I'm telling you what you're doing won't work, and it's not because I'm judging you. I'm reading the owner's manual here. The Bible brings judgment to our life. The Word of God, I'm not the one making the rules. Who died and left you king? Who are you to tell me what I can do? I'm not the one to tell you what you can do. The Bible is clear. If you do this, you'll live a happy and a blessed life. If you do this, life won't work for you. The Bible is the one that judges us. As we're going down verse 10, God's word is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey. Why does it say that? Because the word of God judges us. And that's not a negative statement. It is honey to me. I want to know on the front end, is this going to work or not work? I don't want to get into it and find out it doesn't work. See, that's honey to me. The Word of God is honey because I don't have to put my finger in the fire to find out it's hot. It tells me it's hot on the front end. God's Word is more desirable than gold. Why? Because it saves your life. It saves your life. You can know on the front end if this is a good investment or a bad investment. There is power in the Word to leave your life. Moreover, thy servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And that's my point. 
of part one and next week part two. In keeping the Word of God, there is great reward. I'm not some outdated, fuddy-duddy pastor trying to keep you from having any kind of fun in life. I'm telling you, living your life in obedience to Scripture, there is great reward. You will live a very happy, successful, and blessed life. Here's what I'm telling you. Going against the Word of God will not work all the time, every time. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. There's power in the Word of God to make your way prosperous and successful. Read it. Meditate its precepts. Let the Word of God judge you. And continue to move your life forward being judged by God's Word. Turn to God's Word. Draw strength from God's Word. Draw direction from your life from God's Word. Draw power from God's Word. Because there is power in God's Word to live your life. Y'all stand. Lord, we... uh, Roll up our sleeves, and we receive power for our life from your word. Your word judge us. Your word show us where we're wrong. Your word teach us what is right. God, we need wisdom, not after we've blown it. We need wisdom before we get into it. Lord, your word speak to our heart and guide our life as we draw power from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.